Hello, everyone. Welcome to our listeners in the Big Apple from across the United States and from around the world. I'm Jeff Goodman, and this is Rediscovering New York. We're a weekly show that showcases New York's extraordinary neighborhoods almost all the time and its amazing history. Uh, Most weeks, the show focuses on a particular neighborhood where we explore its history and its vibe and what makes the neighborhood special. We do it through interviews with urban historians, preservationists, local business owners, artists, and interesting neighborhood personalities. Occasionally, like this evening, we host a special show about an interesting part of the city and its history that's not about one particular neighborhood. We might do a show about some parks, about a museum, about the history of our transit system, city of an age of a particular social or political movement or musical genre. I'm still waiting to do a show on punk. I know I keep saying that. Or unique New York architectural phenomenon like Rockefeller Center. All of our episodes are informative, entertaining, illuminating, and of course, fun. And each show will be available on archive and podcast the day after the show airs. We have a very special show tonight for two reasons. One, uh, St. Pat's Day was on Sunday, so we have a St. Patrick's-themed show. And it's also special because we have two returning guests who've been on Rediscovering New York in the past, Joyce Gold and Ronan Downs. Uh, Our first guest is the amazing Joyce Gold. Joyce is a recognized expert and educator in New York history. And for over 40 years, she's been guiding New Yorkers and visitors to rave reviews through her private walking tours, as well as tours open to the public. Her website is JoyceGoldHistoryTours.com. Joyce has published two guidebooks, From Windmills to the World Trade Center, A Walking Guide Through the History of Lower Manhattan, and the second book, From Trout Stream to Bohemia, A Walking Guide Through the History of Greenwich Village. Joyce has contributed entries to the Encyclopedia of New York City, Uh, Her article, Learning on Foot, Walking Tours of New York City, appeared in the Parents League 2007 Review. And we enthusiastically welcome Joyce Gold back to Rediscovering New York. Joyce, a hearty welcome to you. Thank you, Jeff. Good to be back. Now, some of our listeners uh, know about your personal history. I certainly do, but I always love hearing about it. Uh, But I'm sure we have listeners for the first time who don't know you and have not heard about you. Uh, You're not originally from New York. No, I come from a small town in Pennsylvania, which makes me an immigrant like the large majority of the city. Hmm. How did you get into the business of illuminating and entertaining people about our neighborhoods and the city's amazing history? Well, originally I thought it would be a great boon to people who lived in the city. Um, I first got interested in the subject when I was a computer analyst at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York downtown. And one day in the old Mendoza's bookstore, long gone at Ann Street, I picked up a hundred-year-old book about New York a hundred years before that. The book was about streets that I passed coming from the subway every day, and it changed my view of the city. Suddenly, it was fascinating to walk around. Nobody in my office building knew anything about the past of the city. People tended to be very forward-looking, not past-looking, and um, I thought it would help other people really enjoy what they've passed every day. Hmm. Well, after that book, the rest, shall we say, is history, literally. (laughs) Uh, Well, uh, on this episode, we're going to be focusing on the history of Irish peoples who came to New York. Um, Before we get into the history, I'm curious about your your motivation. Was there any special uh, reason that you had that you became interested in the history of Irish people who came to New York, or was it just part of the city's history? Well, I'm fascinated fascinated by immigration. Immigration has always been the story of New York. It's why when visitors come here, they feel the energy of the city immediately because if somebody is going to give up everything they know for the hope of something that they can't always totally identify in the future, uh, it's something extremely positive. And uh, there are certain ways that most groups of different countries, uh, what they have in common that brings them here, and then there are also, in general, differences. And I love to differentiate one group from another in that general way. Mm. What, what I like to look at is what made them leave the home country, what advantage did they come with, what disadvantage, what reception they met, and what they did to get themselves ahead once they got here. Mm. 
And uh, as an aficionado of Joyce's work in tours, I uh, let my listeners know, we usually leave this for the second half of our interview, but uh, a number of Joyce's tours on JoyceGoldHistoryTours.com actually focus and concentrate on the experiences of different immigrant communities, not only from Europe, but also from around the world. That's true. Um, before we get into the big uh, event that led to the, the big wave of Irish immigration in the 1840s, was there any substantial immigration from Ireland to New York before the 1840s? Well, there was, but not yeah. in anywhere near the numbers. By 1643, Manhattan had a population of about 400 people, and there were 18 languages already being spoken. So uh, Irish immigrants came very early, as did many others from Europe. No, this is kind of a pointed question. Was was Gaelic spoken back in 1643 by anyone in New York? <laughs> well, if you ever saw the movie Gangs of New York, the great movie by Scorsese, one of the gangs speaks Gaelic. So some of the people came up, came came in who, who came from Ireland, surprising to a lot of Americans today, did not speak English when they arrived. Hmm. Um, well, the big wave of the Irish, of course, first started in the 1840s. Um, uh, we'll talk about that in a second, but one thing I, I always also want to mention is that uh, it's sometimes known as the potato famine colloquially, but uh, uh, it really wasn't a famine. It was a blight of one particular kind of crop. There was, there was a lot of food in Ireland at the time, but due to government and social policy, mm-hmm. it was not used to feed the locals who had depended on one particular kind of crop to feed themselves. Well, I believe politically it's sometimes referred to as the potato starvation not to get too much into the politics of it, just to say that in a country of 8 million, when in less than 10 years a million people died and over a million people left, England was importing food from Ireland. Uh, In the um, 1600s, 1500s, Irish people had the most diverse cuisine in Europe, but politically, when uh, the British decided to give a lot of Irish land to their English friends, the, um, the Irish people were really relegated to living basically just on the potato. And then when the potato blight, uh, which came from Peru, I mean, the potato originates in Peru, not in Europe, when the potato blight also crossed the Atlantic, that's when the terrible, terrible uh, tragedies came about. When did the, what, when was the first year of a big wave of Irish immigration? 1846 or 47? Well, 1845, I believe, is when they, uh, they first noticed the blight, and 1846, I think, is when they start talking about people leaving. Many came to America. A lot came, went to England, closer, of course. Uh, half the people on ships that went to Canada during the next 10 years died either of starvation or disease, and the ships to Canada were known as coffin ships. Oh, gosh. Um, were the experiences of Irish immigrants who came here in the 1840s different from immigrants who had come to New York right before that? Well, the main work they did, the men did in Europe, was to farm. They didn't have the wherewithal to buy farms. Here, they barely escaped starvation and death when they came, and uh, farming was the last thing they wanted to do. So it was a time when uh, there were really two main occupations for the Irish people who came. And different from most other groups, there were more Irish women who came Uh, in the famine years, as they call them, than men. Uh, The men were basically able to only do heavy back-breaking jobs, which often meant at the docks if they could get it. And at the docks, they were basically pitted against blacks who often could only get those jobs as well. And the only legal job Irish women could get for more than a generation was live-in domestic servants. Mm. What parts of the island, because that's where the city was was based, did mm-hmm. did Irish immigrants first start settling in when they came to New York? Well, it's good to think of how many people were here. Um, in 1850, 52% of Manhattan, which was all there was to the city at the time, 52% were immigrants. 
uh, foreign-born, and half that number had come from Ireland. So when you think of a quarter of the entire population just off the boat from Ireland, you realize there were a lot of places they lived, and because if they could get the job, they worked at the docks, they often lived nearby and prayed nearby, which I think, very interestingly, is why a lot of Catholic churches in Manhattan today are much closer to the East River or the Hudson River than you would expect because of the history. Mm. So what were some of the, the specific neighborhoods that, that Irish immigrants settled in when they first arrived? And well, the two that I most talk about these days are the Five Points. The Five Points, which would be just east of the courthouse district today, was really the first slum in New York. Never before had so many poor people arrived at one time. And, uh, you know, they were, they were not... Th- helped very much by anybody except the Catholic Church to the extent that they could extend themselves to such a great population. And also Hell's Kitchen, the area west of the 40s, west uh, in the west 40s, uh, they were building the Croton Reservoir, and the, uh, which was at 42nd Street and 5th, one of them. And so that was manual labor. And uh, this is where they were. Hmm. So actually, what became Hell's Kitchen was the second neighborhood that that, that Irish immigrants uh, settled in. That's on right. It was pretty mm-hmm. much the same time as the Five Points. The Five Points was the place. It was, of course, named for an intersection that doesn't exist any longer, where two streets crossed, giving you four corners or four points, and another street ended in the middle of at the intersection, giving you the fifth point. And uh, that was where there were the poorest of the poor, the poorest Jewish people, the poorest blacks, the poorest Irish. But the Irish were the great in the greatest in number. Mm. And of course, sadly, as you mentioned, uh, the history of particular immigrant communities wouldn't be complete without their history of bigotry and also economic prejudice. You know, one question I had, just to uh, divert a little bit. Um, German-speaking immigrants started coming in waves to New York um, after, right after the uh, mass immigration of Irish in the 1840s, I think from the 1850s onward. Did German-speaking people experience some of the same kind of discrimination that well, Irish were, were dealing with? It's very interesting to contrast the two. Uh, in Ireland, it was, for example, illegal to learn to read. Some Irish people did learn, certainly, to read, but they did it more secretly. But Germany was 100% literate. The Germans who came here were not totally depleted of any funds like the Irish did. And they also had, the Germans did uh, socialist politics by that time. A lot of them came after the revolution of 1848, Uh, at which end the conservative forces won. So a lot of the Germans who left uh, didn't want to live in that kind of a Germany. So they came with very different skills and met a very different reception. Mm. Well, we're going to take a break in a minute, but, you know, one question I have is that, you know, Irish immigration started in the 1840s, but the original old St. Pat's was much, much older than that. How is it that the patron saint of Ireland actually got named, uh, had a church named for him before (laughs) large-scale immigration from Ireland? Well, that's a very good clue that you came up with, uh, looking to see when it was named. uh, 1809, New York was made a diocese of the Catholic Church, and the original St. Patrick's was started. There were Irish people here, just nothing like the numbers of the 1840s and after. Oh, okay. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Joyce Gold. Thank you. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you stuck in a rut? Negative thoughts, feelings, and conversations got you down? Hi, I'm Noreen Sumter, the Potentiator. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time and listen for new ideas on my show, Beyond Potential, Live Life Your Way, on talkradio.nyc. Who do you want to connect with? Are you an entrepreneur or intrapreneur looking to build your following? Welcome to our show. 
Follow Me Friday with Joan and Priya. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern on talkradio.nyc. We're We're your digital connectors. connectors. Woo woo! (laughs) (laughs) Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Welcome back to Rediscovering New York and our very special show about Irish immigration and Irish life in New York uh, in celebration of St. Patrick's Day, which was just two days ago. And my first guest is the amazing Joyce Gold of Joyce Gold History Tours. Uh, Joyce's website, by the way, is JoyceGoldHistoryTours.com. And full disclosure, uh, when I'm not selling real estate or bringing you the life of neighborhoods on this show... Uh, I also host uh, historic walking tours. Um, Joyce is my tour guide, but Joyce has many, many tours uh, of, of the city. Joyce, what are a couple of the tours that you have that people might not even think that anyone does tours of? Well, my, one of my newest ones is called The Gilded Age, and Julian Fellows, who you know did Downton Abbey, is going to do a 10-part series called The Gilded Age on NBC television in the fall. And it's about a fictitious woman who was part of that 120-year-old um, rich getting richer. Mm. Um, so that's one of them. Let's see what else I have. Gowanus in Brooklyn is something that you inspired me to design. (laughs) Great tour, by the way. I love that tour of Gowanus that you do. Twisted my arm is a synonym for inspired. It took, what, three years to get get you to do that? I think so, because Manhattan is really more what I specialize in. But Central Park, including the northeast part of Central Park, which even many New Yorkers have never visited, and is much less busy uh, than the south part of the park on a busy summer weekend. So I like to inspire people to go there. Um, These are some of them. Mostly what I do are private tours, and a lot of people have very specific ideas of what they would like in a tour. So I'm probably best known for the financial district in Greenwich Village. I've written guidebooks to both of those neighborhoods, and I keep adding more. So you mentioned ethnic tours. Italian New York, many people think of Mulberry Street, but I think of the south part of Greenwich Village for that. Uh, tours of immigrant radical notorious women is part of the Greenwich Village history as well. Oh, that sounds good. It is. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, the Civil War also, the American Revolution is another interesting one I like to do. And you do a great tour of Hamilton in the financial yes, district. Yes, Hamilton, yes, definitely. Yes. Well, uh, when you know, we, we talk briefly about churches, what are some of the other churches that, that Irish immigrants uh, uh, went to and worshipped at when they first arrived here? Well, I should say that the St. Patrick's on Mulberry Street was the second Catholic church in New York. For most of the 119 years we were a British colony, it was illegal to be a practicing Catholic uh, for for almost three quarters of a century. But in the 1840s, I believe 1848, St. Bridget's Church opens in what is now called the East Village, and it was uh, designed and at least built by Irish boat makers. Uh, The East Coast also had a lot of boat activity. And it's known as the Famine Church. It is known as that, yes. Uh, And actually, uh, St. Bridget's was uh, near condemnation, and they were going to knock it down, but Mm -hmm. uh, several people came to the rescue, and it's been beautifully restored, and now it's safe, and it's a gorgeous place to visit. It was an anonymous donor who gave $20 million, and I have a clue as to who that person is, but I'm not allowed to say. (laughs) Uh, The oldest Catholic church building in Manhattan today, because the old St. Patrick's uh, is only partly the original, is from 1833, and it's in Greenwich Village on 6th Avenue just below 8th Street. It's called St. Joseph's, and that was built in 1833. Mm, it's a beautiful church. It actually uh, has a feel also a little bit of St. Luke's in the Fields, all the wood, and the same with uh, yes. um, uh, St. Paul's Chapel. St. Luke in the Fields yeah. is the oldest church in Greenwich Village, but it's Episcopalian. Mm. 
Um, you talked about the gangs of New York a, a, a few minutes ago. Uh, let's talk about the Know Nothings uh, in mm-hmm. the 1850s. Was that an, like an anti-Irish movement? Or did it was. It was an anti-Irish, anti-immigrant, and uh, one or two mayors and many people in uh, Congress were Know Nothings, which was another name for the Nativist Party. Uh, a mayor in New York in 1840 who got in on the Nativist Party was James Harper, who founded Harper and Row and wrote Harper's Weekly magazine. And um, he, he thought that you should be in this country for 21 years before we should allow you to be naturalized. And also, you know, part of Irish history in, in the United States and New York was during the Civil War, uh, young Irish men who were immigrants uh, were drafted immediately and sent mm-hmm. to, to fight for the Union in the Civil War. Right. Um, did Irish immigrants play any role in the draft riots during the Civil War? Well, the way it looked to a lot of Irish in the Civil War is that they were in an untenable position. They had been pitted against blacks for more than a generation. I mean, there were no blacks in Ireland, but for a generation of being in New York, uh, Irish people at the docks would be told to take a pay cut because a black guy would work for less. Black people were told to take a pay cut because the Irish guy would work for less. And so this erupts in 1863 at the draft riots. Uh, The way it looked to some of the Irish people, (coughs) I should say many of the Irish fought very bravely in the Civil War, and that began to, for many people, uh, improve the image they had of the Irish people. But what was the untenable situation? A lot of the people, a lot of the Irish in New York felt that if they went to war to protect the Union and end slavery, they could easily be killed. But if they lived and won that would free the blacks from the South who would come to New York and take their few jobs. So um, not all of the rioters were Irish, but apparently a a lot of them were. And it was possibly the most terrible moment in the history of New York, in my opinion, because it was New Yorker against New Yorker. We're talking about the second week of July of 1863 when over 100 people die. Some of them, some blacks were lynched on the streets of the city. And of course, many Irish were very valiantly and gallantly fought for the cause of the Union in the Civil War. Definitely. Uh, we had the Fighting 69th. Uh, was that a Pennsylvania or a New York regiment? Definitely I mean, a New York, New York regiment. Okay. In fact, some of the leaders of St. Bridget's Church were very involved in the Fighting 69th. In fact, I'm a, I'm a big fan of traditional Irish music, and uh, I haven't seen him in years, but there's this uh, a musician named David Kincaid, and he has an album called The Irish Volunteer, which yes. I have not listened to in a while, but is, but is one of my favorites. Yeah, I know the song well because uh, uh, J, uh, Burns uh, on television did the Civil War series. Ken, Ken uh, Burns. Rick Burns, actually. Ken Burns' son, uh, brother. And uh, I have that CD of the music, and a lot of it is about the Irish Volunteer. The... Um, the sign-up office was conveniently nearby to that effect. It was one of the lines of it. Right when they got off the boat, there they were being told that maybe they would be fed if they joined the joined. army. Hmm. Um, were there any, uh, after the Civil War, were there any large-scale waves of Irish immigration, or was it more steady after that? <laughs> well, I don't think there were the waves that there were before, uh, but there were still Irish people coming in. Um, when did discrimination against people from Ireland begin to wane in the city? When was it not as, uh, as, as profound and as, and as... Well, I think one time was after the Civil War. Some people felt that they were terrorists because of the draft riots, but many people felt that they had valiantly fought to preserve the Union, and they were credited with that. Uh, also, I've heard a theory that Irish people were extremely good at anything hierarchical uh, because of their experience with the Catholic Church. And I think Malachi McCourt, uh, I'm quoting on that. And, Who's um, still with us, actually. He is with yeah. us, and he was a speaker on the Queen Mary once, when I was a speaker huh? on the Queen Mary on the crossing, so I got to... I got to talk with him a bit. I met Malachi at uh, Gracie Mansion a year ago at the St. Pat's uh, uh, celebration uh-huh. when yeah. uh, uh, the Taoiseach was there, when uh, Leo Varenkar. A colorful, a colorful guy. Yes, he was. Yes, very, <laughs> mu- very much indeed. I think he's in his 80s now. But uh, certainly Irish people got, Irish men got into the police force, got into the fire department, and I think that also changed their image quite a bit. 
Was Irish immigration affected at all by the Immigration Act of 1924? Well, I don't think it was because, the, uh, you know, we got very isolationist in this country after World War I, and the feeling was that America is a country of people from Northern and Western Europe, not from Southern or Eastern Europe. So if you wanted to come from Dublin or Belfast or London or Berlin... Or Norway, as a recent or president. Or Norway, yes. <laughs> Yes. Our president, who had a mother who was an immigrant from one country and a grandfather who was an immigrant from another, but we won't go there. Uh, um, I just lost (laughs) my train of thought. Oh, he always gets me off. The Irish Immigration Act of 1924. So that meant that there was no limit. So what they did was decide that... um, they should look at who was in this country in 1890. There were a lot of Irish people, German people here uh, of origin uh, before 1890, but not too many from southern Italy or Jews from Eastern Europe. So the act of 1924 came up with a quota based on national origin of 1890. So it didn't affect the Irish, but if you wanted to come from Naples or Palermo or Riga or Odessa, you could basically forget it. The doors were closed. Oh, Oh, full disclosure, I actually have a wee bit of Irish ancestry. I had a great-great-grandmother from Cork City, (laughs) uh, and... uh, Seven-sixteenths of my heritage is from Italy, and uh, the other half is from Eastern Europe, so I'm one of those New York uh, (laughs) mutts, but I do have a little bit of Irish ancestry. Um, I'm going to ask you, I may be putting you on the spot with this question, but um, do you know if Irish immigration into the U.S. was impacted at all after the nominal independence of Ireland from Britain? Uh, in 1922 and the Civil War that that resulted? And I do not know that. Okay. I don't know okay. about that. Um, but, you know, a little interesting factoid about uh, uh, Irish and American history is that um, Ireland's longtime Taoiseach, which is the leader, also known as a prime minister, and later its president, Eamon de Valera, he was technically an American citizen. He was actually born in the United States to an Irish mother and a Spanish father who was from the Basque country. And uh, when he was two years old, he was moved back to Ireland and he was reared by his grandmother. In fact, also in a little fate of history, the fact that he also had American citizenship probably kept him from being uh, killed, executed by the British after the Easter Rising, because a lot of the leaders of the Rising were uh, uh, shot you know, within a day after the Rising was put down. He was not. Um, and he uh, lived to a ripe old age. And he actually started the tradition of bringing uh, a bowl of shamrocks to the White House on St. Pat's Day, which we still see to this day. Um, any lingering thoughts about the, the ongoing impact of Irish immigration to New York? And do you think it's, it, it's changed at all or, or it continues to this day? Well, I think that Irish people have very much gotten into the mainstream, but their history of the virulent anti-Irish feeling. I think it was partly based on the fact that for most of the British century, we, we, were, we didn't allow Irish people and Catholics to be in New York legally. Uh, but I think mostly it's that so many poor people were here, and people tend to put down the poor rather than try to help them. And I think the fact that Irish people have gotten so mainstream can be a lesson to us about words that are used against any other group and that are as false as they were about the Irish. A good lesson for today. Well, speaking of uh, the current uh, journey of Irish people in New York, uh, we're going to take a quick break in a minute, and uh, we're going to speak with our second guest, Ronan Downs, who's a native from Ireland, but is now as a New York as a New Yorker can be. Um, and uh, I want to thank Joyce. Joyce, again, thank you so much. I want to remind our listeners that you can take Joyce's tours at JoyceGoldHistoryTours.com. She has, by my last count, 52 different tours that you Something open to the like public. That. And, of course, there are private tours that you can also have Joyce give to a group. I do it myself, so uh, I'm Walk the Walk with that. Joyce, thanks so much for being back on the show. It was fun. Thank you. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York 
a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Do you like comic books and movies? How about TV and pop culture? Then you've come to the right place. Hi, I'm Michael Dolce, host of Secrets of the Sire. Joined every week by my co-host, Hassan, Lord of the Radio Godwin. Together, we have over 15 years' experience creating graphic novels, screenplays, and more. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on the pop culture universe you love to talk about. Wednesday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern, talkradio.nyc. Talking Alternative Radio. 24 hours a day. We're back to Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. That's me, Jeff Goodman. Uh, support for our show comes from the Mark Myman team, mortgage strategist at Freedom Mortgage. For assistance in any kind of residential mortgage, Mark and his team can be reached at 646-330-4735. And we're also supported by the law offices of Thomas Sianka, specializing in trusts, estate planning, and probate administration. Tom and his staff can be reached at 212-495-0317. Well, as you know, our show is about neighborhoods and the myriad textures of New York. Uh, but even though I am a real estate agent, one thing our show is not about, it's a biz- not a business show about real estate, but there is a really good one. Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco, my colleague from Halstead, and that airs on Tuesday mornings live at 9 a.m. And you can hear it at voiceamerica.com. You can also like us on Facebook. Our Facebook page is Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. How novel is that? And you can also follow me on Instagram. My Instagram handle is jeffgoodmannyc. If you have comments or questions, or if you'd like to get on our show's mailing list, please email me, jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. Well, we're starting the second half of our special show on the history of Irish people in New York. And my second guest is also a repeat guest, Ronan Downs. Ronan was born in Dublin. He came to the United States in 1974 to attend SUNY at Oneonta on a soccer scholarship. He was a four-year member of the men's soccer team and, in fact, was drafted by the New York Eagles of the American Soccer League and played for the Las Vegas Seagulls. I had not even known there was a team called the Seagulls until uh, I read your bio. After completing his degree at Oneonta, Ronan made his way to New York, where he got his start in the hospitality business, first as a bartender at Dresner's on the Upper East Side. Ronan has since, has since started his own businesses and opened multiple fine bars and restaurants in Manhattan, most notably in the Financial District and including and especially the Stone Street Tavern, and more recently, the Factory, which is in Murray Hill. Ronan and his partners were pioneer entrepreneurs when the Stone Street Historic District in Lower Manhattan was first made into a pedestrian street. Ronan's also been active in the Irish and Irish-American community and has initiated or participated in many charitable projects. He's currently on the advisory board for Self-Help Africa, an Anglo-Irish non-government organization whose mission is to eliminate poverty in Africa through sustainable farming, climate control, and microfinance. And we welcome back Ronan Downs to Rediscovering New York. Welcome, Ronan. Thank you very much. Great to be back. You're from Dublin. When did you decide that you wanted to come to the United States? Well, I was working in my father's office doing accounting. I wasn't very good at it. So I was looking around for other opportunities. I met an American woman who um, mentioned that there were opportunities to play soccer in colleges in the United States, and they, would off- they may offer you a scholarship. So um, I thought that would be a good idea for me. If I stayed in Ireland, I'd still be on part one of the accounting course. Did you apply to a number of, of universities, or did you sort of hone in on, on, on SUNY and Oneonta? I did apply to a few, but when I came over in the summer of the summer of 1974, I went to Oneonta. 
And it's such a great time there that day and, and that night. I, I actually missed the bus back to Albany where I, where I was staying. So I had to stay the night in Oneonta. And if anybody knows Oneonta, it's a fantastic town for a young 21-year-old. And that night made my mind up. I said, I'll, I'd love to go to school here. Ah, and the rest is history. <laughs> correct, correct, yeah. When you first came to the States and went to Oneonta, uh, did you think you would settle here? Or did at first, did you think you'd attend university? And then when it was you graduated, you would, you would re- return to Ireland? Oh, I, I was sure I'd go back. I thought I'd spend four years here maybe a year traveling and then go back to Ireland. Well, I had a girlfriend in Ireland at the time, so that was the plan. So what changed your mind? Uh, what, what was it about this country or upstate New York uh, or other people uh, that you met to say, you know, this is, this is my home now, I'm staying? Well, I think you probably got to ask uh, any number of immigrants what, they, what happened to them. Everybody plans they're going home, but they get a taste of, of the United States. And it's difficult, though, though I'd say for the first few years, I did plan on going back to Ireland. Um, New York is what changed everything, Manhattan in particular. Ah. Did you, um, is that also that something that might have contributed to you leaving professional soccer? When well, you I, for the Seagulls? I, I only played for a very short time professionally. If I was good enough, I'd still have kept playing. You know, you have to, that's um, I, Long term, it wasn't an option for me. So, uh, but I love New York City, and I and I still do. That's it hit me very early on that this was a, a city that I that I wanted to live in. Well, what, one story I, I like about your life is hearing about how you got the job, your first job at Dresner's. You oh. want to share it with our listeners? Oh well, that was just from I, I like probably many other people. I didn't know anybody in New York City. I had a girlfriend out in Brooklyn who was tired of me, so I went, I went looking for a job. I was up the, up First Avenue, down Second, up Third, and um, anyway, finally I walked into uh, a bar on Twenty Third and Third, the Glockamara. Met a very nice fella who advised me to go across the street to another Irish bar. This fella might have a job for me, and he did. He gave me uh, two shifts, uh, two brunch shifts a week to work. From there, I met an Irish fella during my first uh, day working. And he got me a job in another place. I was so thrilled with getting the other job. After my first shift there, I went out looking again. And I walked into uh, an Irish place called Joyce's. And there, John Joyce, after talking to me for about an hour about Gaelic football, sent me up to a place called Dresner's on the Upper East Side. And I went in there and met Don, John, uh, Jack Gettings. I think I was interviewed for all of three minutes. And he told me to come in on Sunday and you'd start. And I worked there for five years. They gave me the key and that was it. They didn't know me from Adam. So I was, but it was five, five great years on the Upper East Side. With, uh, where I met some fabulous people who were still great friends of mine. And uh, I'm... I will never forget the, the hospitality and the trust that he had in me. You bring up a blast from my past. I hadn't heard that name in a while. Glockamora. I used to, uh, right. I had a therapist on uh, 3rd Avenue and 27th Street, and after my therapy session, I would meet a friend of mine in Glockamora for drinks. And we did that every week. I don't know that the therapy was doing much good, but uh, Glockamora <laughs> was a good button to it all. Yeah. Um, when did you decide that you would go into your own business? I'd say early on. I felt that there was great opportunities in, in New York. Um, it was definitely hard to, to knuckle down. There's so much distraction here. But um, early on, I met a, another, this other Irish lad and himself and myself. We decided we'd open up our own business. And um, our, there were three of us opened up a place on 76 and 1st. A place called Etc. was we opened in 1985, and it was the start of a, uh, I think, a, a great career. We had a wonderful time there, and thankfully, it's it's not open anymore. Or I'd Why prob- thankfully? I, because I'd, I'd probably be dead. It was uh, <laughs> it was it was too much fun. Ah, but uh, it was it was great. 
Well, now I think the, um, uh, uh, oh God, the, uh, this, uh, the branch of the Second Avenue Deli is now on First Avenue between 76 and 77th Street, maybe near where that, that's et right. is. Yeah, that was called, that place was called the Wicked Wolf up to about maybe 10 years ago. I've had a few pints there over the years. Well, the Wicked Wolf sounds a lot more fun than the Second <laughs> Avenue Deli, unless you yeah. want uh, pastrami well, or conditions. Funnily enough, they have a bar, something called a speakeasy bar, upstairs above that the the Second Avenue Deli now. I was just speaking to somebody about it. Um, ah. Well, now, of course, you're, you're a prominent business owner and a pillar of the business community in the financial district and in Stone Street. When did you open up your first business down there? Well, we opened our first business downtown on Fulton Street. We opened up, uh, et cetera, et cetera. We became very creative. We, instead of calling it et cetera, we called it et cetera, et cetera. And, and um, that was in 19, I would think, 90. Where in Fulton Street was it? It was Fulton and Golds, be- uh-huh. yeah, between Gold and William. It wasn't a great business for us, but it was a, it was a, it was a, a start of uh, a star, our start in the downtown area. Did you, at that point, pick the financial district, or was it just circumstance that led you down? Uh, I think myself and my partners just wanted to open up another restaurant, and that was a, that was an opportunity, and we took it. Well, et cetera, et cetera, was your second business. You've had a, I don't want to say a string, but a succession of businesses that you've opened with different themes. Um, what were some of the uh, other businesses that you opened up downtown? Um, well, after that, we opened up Beckett's, and that was at, that was at um, 78 Pearl Street. And we really didn't realize how lucky we were because it was located just across the road from the former uh, Goldman Sachs headquarters at 85 Broad. So we really just opened the doors and they, f- they, they poured in. So it was a fantastic, um, I think we were open for nine years until there was a fire in the building upstairs. And then we relocated across the street to, 85, to, to 81 Pearl Street where the present Beckett's is. How, so is Beckett's the, the, mo- the oldest business that you've, that you've owned? That I'm currently yeah. involved in. It uh-huh. is, yes. And how many businesses do you have downtown now? I, I lose okay. count. Five, um, six? Uh, no, no, we're, we're actually involved in, in five businesses on Stone Street. Yeah. Um, it always sounds better than it is. It's, it's, business can be difficult at times, but, but I shouldn't complain as we're still, we're still in business. Hmm. Uh, and of course, uh, uh, sadly, Hurricane Sandy negatively impacted your businesses down there as Th- well. That changed everything, and not only for us, but for most businesses down there, and, I, and also the residents. So it's a great testament to New York City that we've rebounded and come back. But again, no surprise, given how we've re- we rebounded after 9-11. Hmm. That's right. You've had two, but you had 9-11, and then you had Sandy to, to recover from. Correct. Uh, talk about uh, uh, surviving and, to, and, and thriving after that. Uh, Okay, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we will continue our conversation with Ronan Downs. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. The best designs for your life start at home. I'm David Thiergartner, interior designer and host of At Home. Listen live Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time as we talk to the very best professionals about interior design and the design that's all around us right here on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc.
talkingalternative.com. back. We're back with Ronan Downs and Rediscovering New York. Um, Ronan is an immigrant from Ireland who has made New York his home. Um, there might be things that you find New York about New York now more interesting or fascinating than when you first came here back in the late 70s. What are some of the things that you love about living in New York now, Ronan? Well, I would say the first thing I love about New York is the people. And I like the diversity I like the fact that we are our current and perhaps um, paving the way for other peoples in other parts of the world who have such uh, respect and love for the city that we can influence them to perhaps live together in a, in a more peaceful and, and understanding and tolerant way. That would be the big thing about New York. I think architecturally it's also very beautiful. And to have kept Central Park free of any building, it's, it's a fantastic feat. And I, I go there quite regularly. Oh, you live a couple of blocks away. I do, yes. So uh, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful part of the city. And of course, part of your experience here is meeting and falling in love with the woman of your dreams. And, uh, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, I met Carletta. Oh, my goodness. My 23 years ago, Carletta worked for Goldman and uh, she used to come into our restaurant and she fell madly in love with me and didn't, wouldn't let me go. So I finally gave in and married her. We have, uh, we've got two children. I've got three children. Chris uh, from Carletta's first marriage, Thomas and uh, Finola. And I've met Carletta and Chris. I've not met Thomas and Vanola. Well, Hopefully I'll have the they're pleasure. A, they're soon. a treat. <laughs> yeah. Well, bring them on one of my tours and I'll <laughs> get to meet them. Well, we should get together some other time. Um, um, you know, what's interesting, too, is that you, some of the businesses that you opened here in the city, oh, and by the way, I have to just mention that um, I'm native to New York, so I, I didn't come from someplace else. But one of the things that I love about this place, and as I say, I'll probably die here, uh, are... are not just the mix, but, but something about New York that keeps welcoming everybody. You know, my ancestors mm -hmm. came and we stayed. Um, but New York has been a city that for at least 150 years, more than 40% of New Yorkers have not even been born in the United States. And this has been something that we find consistent, consistently in census after census. New York yeah. has that magnetism and has something about it that just draws people from all over the world. Um, well, it does, and, and also... The New Yorkers make foreigners feel welcome. People from other parts of the, the country, they make them feel welcome, which, which is a wonderful thing. It's probably why we have one of the lowest percentages of people who support the present administration. But uh, anyway, we're not to get into a political discussion about it. Uh, although I could be tempted, but I won't. Um, uh, this is not uh, certain public radio. Um, <clears throat> some of the, one of the things I find interesting is that some of the businesses that you've created lately... Uh, have different themes to them, and, and, and some of them uh, are also inspired by things in New York. One thing, I don't know if it has a New York theme. You have a business called The Cauldron. What, what inspired you to, to open The Cauldron? Well, we, we were lucky enough to meet um, a gentleman called Matthew Cortland and his partner, Dave, who I don't recall his second name. And um, they, they um, proposed doing this project myself my partners uh, we uh, we thought we thought it was a good idea and it's it's very interesting and it's a real slice of uh, well it's an Eng a slice of england truthfully but it's it, but it's um it's something that is, is very appropriate for new york and the curiosity in in wizardry to, as we see today and the, the theme is based on wizardry and um, the drinks and the food are are um, based around that. 
Do you have kind of a granular question? Is the percentage of people who go to the cauldron who are New Yorkers different from your from your other businesses? Do you find that you have more out of town people go to the cauldron because of the theme? Or correct, you do. Okay, yeah, I would say yes, but I'd say sixty percent are out of towners. Yeah. Uh, do you have a lot of patrons who are from Ireland in your businesses? That's an interesting question, and I would have said yes some years ago, but today not so many. Not so many. I think most Irish people, well, the Irish that I know, they tend to, when they get to my age, certainly, they, they're up in, in Westchester or, or at Long Island. They're not living in Manhattan so much or in the city. But we do have a certain amount of Irish, but not, we would not be based, basing our businesses on Irish people, from, certainly from Ireland anyway. We do get a, a number of Irish people born here, yes. Mm-hmm. But... Um, We'd be, in, we'd be in New York bars, American New York bars. Well, one business you've told me about that you opened recently that I'm fascinated with, and I still haven't made it made time to go and see it and drink in it, is uh, one inspired by uh, another immigrant, another uh, person who settled in New York, Andy Warhol. You don't right. see many businesses that are so obviously inspired by Warhol. What is what had you first started think? It's called the factory. It's on Third Avenue. Correct. Um, what is it that had you first think about a Warhol inspired business, Ronan? Well, truthfully, my business partner Scott Connolly, he was uh, he was fascinated by Andy Warhol. Um, again, just to, just to qualify this, we're inspired, and I, and I know you mentioned that because we don't purport to be uh, an Andy Warhol bar, more <clears throat> an inspiration by the pop art. And uh, the New York, the, the, the New York era that he that he lived in New York in, um, and I find it interesting. And from my times in New York, I actually saw him a few times. I never met him in person, but I did. I happened to be in the same restaurant as he was dining in uh, one evening, and just those things are, are quite interesting. But um, there's so much about Andy Warhol, and if you ever go to the exhibit down in. Uh, uh, down in the Whitney, it's fascinating. Well, I've actually been to the Andy Warhol Museum in Pittsburgh, and for those of you uh, who have never been there, that's quite that's quite something. The, it, the trip to Pittsburgh is worth it itself just to see the Andy Warhol Museum. Mm-hmm. And also to say that uh, our first guest is from the same state as Andy Warhol. Joyce, are you from Western PA? or Eastern. Eastern okay, Joyce is from Eastern Pennsylvania, but Andy Warhol, of course, was from the Berg from Pittsburgh. How long were you thinking about, uh, you and your partners, thinking about a, a Warhol-inspired business before you actually pulled the trigger and opened it? I, I would think about uh, four years. We were talking about doing it for four years and finally got around to doing it, uh, which is great. It's on 3rd it's on Avenue, which is thir- 28th and 3rd. Um, uh, we, we, we thought it was a good location for us. We had other options before, but this was probably the best location for us. And as it turns out, I cannot name you the exact uh, locations of his, the original factories. There were three different places, I believe. But they were in, in the vicinity. I think one of them was on 48th Street uh, on the east side near 2nd Avenue. Union uh, Union, and then yeah. another one in Union Square. That's yeah. uh, Union Square. That's actually where Andy Warhol was shot um, by Valerie. I forgot her last Solanus. name. Valerie Solanus, uh, who also uh, died, I think, in the 90s. Uh, and I don't know where the third factory was, yeah. but 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 at least they were like they were in the New York area. So I, so we found that interesting and for, for us. Um, do you have any dreams or thoughts about other inspirations to open businesses for? What's uh, what oh, are you thinking about, Ronan? I'm Tell gonna, us. I'm so. going to speak to Joyce about doing walking tours of uh, <laughs> the, the, bar, the bars of New York. <laughs> yeah. Well, Joyce okay. does do tours of uh, different kinds of notching, different kinds of, but actually a, a, a good series of pub crawls would be, would be great. Yeah. Um, one thing that's so inspiring about you as an immigrant is that uh, you also give back. You're just not here to take. You, you, you give back. Um, could you tell us a little bit about the organization that you're involved in? With, um, oh, well, I'm involved in a, a, an organization called Self-Help Africa, we do microloans to farmers in Africa. I've been lucky enough to go and visit um, five different countries. And each time I visit Africa, it just inspires me to see people with so little, with uh, having so much heart and, uh, 
and, and, and being so positive about life so we can all learn. Now, I have to say, I was given a lot myself in life, so I think I owe it to give something back. Um, but but my, tr my trips to Africa have been fantastic, and the organization Self-Help Africa, which is always looking for volunteers, um, uh, does great work. And it's all about people in sp uh, but, uh, but people um, working for themselves as opposed to uh, it's 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 a hand up, not a hand out. If someone wanted to find out more about it, what's the web address of Self Help Africa? I unfortunately do not know, embarrassingly. Oh. But Self Help Africa, you can I, Google it. You, you <laughs> could Google up. it, correct? Okay. Um, Last question, are you involved in, in the Irish expat community in the fraction of the minute that we have left? Well, I have, I, I have been um, over the years through, the, through some soccer leagues I've been involved in. I've also been involved in the Ireland Fund with um, yeah, Kieran McLaughlin and Pat Tully. I've been up to the American Ireland Historical Society. And like, your, like yourself, Jeff, I like to go to hear the Irish traditional music. I know you've been, I mean, your double's been in Slauncher a few times. Well, that's, uh, and in fact, it's, uh, the session's starting any uh, moment now at, uh, at Slauncher down on the Bowery. Well, um, that's all the time we have today. Ronan, thank you so much. Thank uh, you so Guests much. have been Ronan Downs, who has a number of businesses, including the Cauldron downtown and the factory, which I have yet to get to. Um, if you have comments or questions, email me at jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. You can like us on Facebook. Uh, we'd also like to thank our sponsors, Freedom Mortgage and the Law Offices of Tom Siaka. And we have one other sponsor, me. I'm a real estate agent at Holstead Real Estate. And whether you're selling, buying, leasing, or renting, my team and I provide our clients with the best service and expertise in New York City real estate. You can reach us at 646-306-4761. Our producer is Ralph Storier. Our engineer is the great Sam Leibowitz. And our special consultant is David Griffin of Landmark Branding. Stay tuned for At Home with David Theergartner coming up next at 8 p.m. right here on Talk Radio and at 9 p.m. Beyond Potential Living Life Your Way with Noreen Sumter. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you stuck in a rut? Negative thoughts, feelings, and conversations got you down? Hi, I'm Noreen Sumter, the Potentiator. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time and listen for new ideas on my show, Beyond Potential, Live Life Your Way, on talkradio.nyc. Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at talkingalternative.com. Do you like comic books and movies? How about TV and pop culture? Then you've come to the right place. Hi, I'm Michael Dolce, host of Secrets of the Sire. Joined every week by my co-host, Hassan, Lord of the Radio Godwin. Together, we have over 15 years' experience creating graphic novels, screenplays, and more. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on the pop culture universe you love to talk about. Wednesday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern, talkradio.nyc. The best designs for your life start at home. I'm David Thiergartner, interior designer and host of At Home. Listen live Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time as we talk to the very best professionals about interior design and the design that's all around us right here on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? 
I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network.